2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. We will step into the part of 9 this morning. We'll have prayer and then read verses 9 and 10. Father, great is thy faithfulness beyond human understanding. And yet, Father, we come now to look at an amazing text. And Lord, I pray that uh, even as we look this morning in our Sunday school class, that we will have ears to hear. And that, Father, we would be overwhelmed with the amazement of what you have done, what is before us, and what uh, is going on around us. And yet, Father, let us not be swayed to the left nor the right. Give us strength to walk worthy. And Father, may as we look at Paul's ambition, Father, may we be consumed by that very ambition. Help us. Help us to walk in a manner that shines forth the glory of the risen King. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 9, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Last week, I kind of laid a foundation to begin in this text on ambition and how most of society and through time, the word ambition or the words that we translate ambition from um, kind of have a negative connotation to it. Uh, and I shared with you last week that the Latin language had it um, means to go both ways, face both ways at one time. And it was used to speak of politicians. And there's certain things that I teach in the Bible. It has too many illustrations. <laughs> um, but it is also in the Greek, it was to be noble. If you remember what Paul told to young Timothy in first Timothy, that any man who seeks the office of overseer or elder, uh, this is good. And it literally has the same root word that we get ambition from that. If it is his ambition to be an elder, this, this is an honorable thing. So there is a time that you can look at ambition and you can see its corruptness. But there's other times that I look at ambition and I see that the Apostle Paul was ambitious. I mean, he had a zeal and he lays it out there in verse 9 to be pleasing to him. That's real straightforward. Um, and, and so when I look at the flow of this whole book, understanding that its focus is ministry then if you are saved, you are in the ministry, then what is your ambition? And, and I watch people struggle with this today because um, it, how easily we are distracted by our ambition. Okay, something can show up out of the clear blue that all of a sudden becomes my ambition. And, and what it is, is your flesh will rise up because it is ambitious. 
It has something that it desires. Okay. When I look at the Apostle Paul, I see his ambition. And you know what is amazing about the Apostle Paul? He never wavered. It didn't matter what was happening or where it was happening, whether it was positive or negative. He never stopped. He had that one goal, that one goal. And he states it right there at the end of verse nine to be pleasing to him, to be pleasing to him. And I'd have to ask each and every Christian. What's your highest ambition? It's easy to sit in here on Sunday morning and sing some songs to Jesus, give some money in the offering plate. But you know what? I got to ask Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What is your highest ambition? Paul's was to be pleasing. To be pleasing. It's, it's kind of amazing to me because there is a lot written about this. In uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 9, Paul, speaking to Titus, says, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Okay? Slaves whose passion was to satisfy their masters. For ministers. Okay, now, when I, you guys got to understand something. When I speak of ministers, I'm not talking about pastors or elders or anything like that. I am talking about saved people. Saved people are ministers. All right, so for ministers, they should be marked by a passion to satisfy their masters. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever let that just roll around in your head and, and, and ponder it? You go through the day-to-day grind. All right? You got to go to your work or whatever it is you're doing. You're going to the Safeway or going to Walmart or whatever it is. You're standing in line to get gas or, you know, it's, a, it's that time that we all slowly, the progression of starting to collect our stuff for taxes. Okay. Do I roll around and think that everything that I am doing, I am passionate about satisfying my master? Paul lived to please the Lord. Okay. Now I want to take you back a few years. All right. First Corinthians chapter four. First Corinthians chapter four. First Corinthians was written to uh, probably the greatest understatement you'll ever hear me say to a troubled church. Okay, that had uh, had had some issues. Okay, the root of their issues was their self-centeredness, pride. Um, They had a lot of problems. Okay, but if you really look at what they're doing, um, it was based on their pride. In chapter 4, he's setting the stage because one of the things that I've noticed about prideful people, they're very judgmental. 
They like to cast their opinions in a self-righteous way. And um, what happens is, in, the, in, the, in especially like in a church in Corinth, was that they were judging others, but they were judging unrighteously. Okay, and you can see where it came from. Remember, he says, some said they were of Paul. Some said they were of Apollos. Some said they were of Cephas. And, of course, the really great ones were just of Christ. Okay? And, and they were even dividing the church over human philosophy. Okay? And, I mean, it's human philosophy. I look at it. Who's going to win these two football games today? You know what my philosophy is? Who cares? <laughs> okay? I mean, you know, I, I've got other things to do today, even if it's just taking a nap. But but I there's things that like that that I watch us deal with. You see it in the political jargon of the day. It's just everywhere. And then, but you can bring it out and listen to it uh, even among Christians. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says, I am not writing to you as spiritual, but as carnal. And the whole third chapter of 1 Corinthians is dealing with jealousy. This envy thing that comes about when people are self-centered. And even to the point that some were judging Paul. And yet, if their judgment is unrighteous, what's the point? What happens is, and I, I've experienced this, I understand what Paul had to do, is that there are people, I was told this years ago, that if they can't find erroneous doctrine, and they can't find sin, then they will attack you. Personally. Okay? And that's just what they do. And they, they were doing it at the time of Paul. They do it today. Because they'll attack Paul's credentials. Well, wasn't he a Pharisee? Wasn't the Jews scared of him? You know, he used to arrest Christians. Was he really called? Remember what they said? His letters are weighty. But he's not really that impressive to look at or listen to. They attack his technique. All he does is preach. That's it. He's got no bells. He's got no whistles. There's no explosions. I mean, who's his worship leader? Who's leading his music? All he does is preach. That's it. But then that can give way to attacking his character. And it is basically coming out of people with a pride issue. They have a pride issue. Paul, all of these things, even his calling, were all under assault. And if you really are honest with his life and his ministry, they were always under assault, always. Even to the point that if I can discredit the messenger then I can discredit his message. That's what happens when pride 
steps in because then everybody thinks they can do it better. You see this in the quote-unquote charismatic churches today. It's similar to the Corinthian church. You have a pride issue. Let me stand up and do something to bring attention to, to me. That's pride. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard it when people pray. Uh, and, and I've always thought, how in the world can you corrupt prayer knowing that you're going into the throne room of God who spoke existence into being and you're doing it pridefully? I, you, it, that's one of the Jewish prayers that I was reading through the Talmud was, uh, God, I thank you that I was born Jewish and not a Gentile, that I was born a man and not a woman. And I'm sitting there going, well, that's a humble prayer. <laughs> First Corinthians 4, 3. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. <laughs> That's awesome. When you really start to think about it, I don't care what you think. Your examination of me and my ministry means nothing, nor am I swayed by your examination of me. Nor, if any human court examines me, I am not swayed by it either. Because, see, the Apostle Paul's ambition was to be pleasing to men. No. I am to be pleasing to the Lord. I remember I had to do a sermon in front of Dr. Olford and the staff. And, uh, I mean, Dr. Olford taught Billy Graham how to preach in the power of the Spirit. And so I'm going to preach, and he's going to grade me, critique my message. And so when we all showed up in Memphis to do this, there was about eight of us, and we all had to deliver a message through the course of the week. And they said, well, Terry, first, all right, I want out of this misery. <laughs> okay? And uh, so, I, I, you know, put, what happens is uh, they call them sugar stick sermons. They're, they're, they're sermons that pastors have preached, then they nailed it. Okay? And so what they do is they bring their sugar stick sermon, and they're going to nail it. I'm not one of those. I'm, I'm just not that smart. Okay? I'm, I'm still waiting for the sermon I'm going to nail. <laughs> Maybe that's it. So I just took a text that I'd been studying, and I was really moved by it, and that's what I preached on. Anyway, the secretary asked me, she says... Okay, she says, are you nervous? And I said, am I nervous? I couldn't spit on my hands if my hands were on fire. And she says, well, I don't know why you'd be nervous. And I said, uh, I'm going to preach a sermon in front of a guy who can preach after John MacArthur in John's church and get a standing ovation. And I'm going to preach in front of him. Oh, okay. All right. And they says, well, Every Lord's Day, you preach before the Lord. And I said, yeah, but he ain't sitting there taking notes. <laughs> so there's a big difference. And yet I think about the Apostle Paul, and it was not his ambition to be pleasing to men. Have you ever thought about that? How many times do you compromise 
so that you will be pleasing to men. Had a little run in with a nun this week over a bumper sticker. She had a bumper sticker on there on who would Jesus bomb? And I was just walking past it and I kind of got a chuckle out of it. I said, that's kind of cute. And she came around. She said, what are you laughing about? I said, that bumper sticker is kind of funny. And she explained to me that she was a nun and this, that, or the other. And I said, well, as I read it, he's not going to bomb anybody. He's going to speak forth and the blood's going to rain, rain high on a horse for four miles. Bombs are too much energy for Jesus when he can just speak. And she didn't get it. Okay. And yet I, I, I listened to this and she was offended. And I thought, why are you offended with, with me? You got the bumper sticker. <laughs> you know, I'm going to put the one on my car that says, yes, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. <laughs> but he said, I'm trying to get at that's the kind of stuff you just sit there and you go, what? Why? Because I'm trying to please men. And those of you who have known me for a while understand that that is definitely a shortcoming of mine. Paul says, I have an ambition, but it is to be pleasing to God. Verses 1 and 2, let a man regard us in this manner as what? Servants of Christ. Stewards of the mystery of God. That was his focus. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards to be found trustworthy. Trustworthy. So that's, you see, his ambition to be found trustworthy before God. God has given me these mysteries and I want to be found trustworthy. He is Christ's servant. He is God's steward. He, uh, this isn't an amazing thing. And it's not a new phenomenon for the apostle. In chapter 4 of 2 Timothy... Verses 1 through 5. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. <laughs> Timothy, understand who you are accountable to. I hear people talk about this today. Well, we need to have accountability. Well, wait a minute. If I am here to please men, then you probably need accountability. If you're here to please God, boy, have you got some accountability. And I think we miss that. You know, it's, it's like I hear people saying, well, we're trying to start a mentoring class in church. What are you going to teach them? What are you going to teach them? Because the Bible says it's discipling. Make learners. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. The time will come when they will not endure sound words, sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teacher and according to their own desires. They are going to accumulate teachers that will please them. Instead of worrying about pleasing the Lord. Paul wasn't concerned about being judged by any man. Paul wasn't concerned about being 
judged by any court. The actual translation in in First uh, Corinthians four is of little consequence. Little consequence. Um, Paul, it's if you're a minister, which means if you're saved. Do you understand you don't do your service for men? You do your service for Christ. We are Christ's servants. We are God's stewards. So our perspective is our ambition will be to please God in Christ. There was no concern for the Apostle Paul about earthly bias or earthly evaluation. I, I, I Watch it. Most people in the United States today believe that a successful church is a big church. You know what? I believe God likes small churches more than he likes big churches. You know why? That's why he has so many of them. If he didn't like small churches... Why are there so many? Okay. I also believe that a small church is more gifted than a big church. Why? You have less people. So they must have better spiritual, bigger spiritual gifts. But you ain't going to hear that today. You go look at what a successful church is right now. If you go ask a person coming out of a, a, most of the churches in the United States today, you ask them if they worship, and if they said yes, and you ask them how do they know they worship, you know what their response is going to be? The music. The music. Man, I've been to a Led Zeppelin concert. That's some serious music going on there. I wouldn't call it, well, in a way it was worship, I guess. <laughs> but be sure I'm trying to get at. What has happened is the same thing in the Corinthian church has happened in the church in the United States is that the world's culture has come in and corrupted what the gospel is. I remember a few times that we have had the pastor's prayer here. People will move the chairs around so we can get together to pray. And they'll say, you got hymnals. Yeah, scary. We even open them. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? That's well. You sit there and go, well, duh. Well, you mean you sing the old hymns? No, we just lip sync. I, I, I just there's a part of me that have you ever listened to the theology you sing? That's why I sing the hymns. Why? Listen to the theology. You know what? As I go back to the text here, chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, I want you to think about something here because when he says, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or any human court. Okay? There's an, most of the time when you hear that, your first response is people saying bad things about Paul. But the phrasing of the sentence means, I don't care what you say about me. I don't even care if you walk up after the message and say, that was a good and powerful message, Paul. He says, 
I don't care about your evaluation to the positive either. Your evaluation of what I'm doing, whether positive or negative, is of no concern to me. Whether you evaluate me negatively or whether you evaluate me positively is of no consequences. I don't care whether you're hostile to what I said or friendly to what I said. It means little. Okay? Human courts can't even give the ultimate verdict. But then he says, even beyond that, look what he says next. In fact, I do not even examine myself. That's fascinating. Remember some pastors one time, I was at a conference down in Glorietta, and they were all saying that the really good pastors are the competitive pastors. And, and they went off on this, you know, if, if the pastors that are really powerful for the things of God probably were involved in sports. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Did Paul play soccer? <laughs> I don't know. I know he didn't play rugby. <laughs> okay. But, but you listen to this and you sit there and you go, what in the world is that? Well, because every week you're competing against yourself from the last week. <sighs> Am I? Really? Um... If you have an ambition to please men or to examine yourself, you probably are. But if you're smart, you're not examining yourself. You're trying to please God. Here, here's why we don't examine yourselves. Now, I know every one of us in this room is guilty of it. But I had to break the news to you. You shouldn't examine yourself. Why? Because you have a slanted bias. No. Yes. You do. I don't care who you are. You can even put on your greatest humble face. You're still going to have a slanted bias. One of the commentators that I read says, humans lack objectivity (laughs) that's like duh (laughs) it is not good to be in judgment of oneself because you're either really too harsh on yourself or not harsh enough on yourself because you are going to lack objectivity Human courts can't judge us. You can't judge us because all you can base it on is the outside. You can't tell the intents of the heart. I am grateful that I can't tell the intents of the heart. And I want you to think about something. Because Jeremiah tells me that my heart even deceives myself. So I've even lacked the judgment of knowing my own heart. I mean, you can say, I have the honorable motivations. If you have ever raised a daughter, you understand what a lie that is. Because when the young man comes up and says, 
My motives are, your motives are lying to me right now. My daughter was in California and uh, uh, one of the kids, she was in college and one of the kids wanted to uh, take her out on a date. The college she was attending, uh, very stringent in their dating. And so the father had to be asked. So she called, she said, Dad, this guy Daniel wants to take me out on a date. I said, all right. (laughs) She says, well, is there anything you want to tell me? I says, I want you to tell Daniel before you ever go anywhere that your father can hit a pumpkin at 200 yards with open sights. <laughs> and she says, well, he's a Christian. I says, so is your father. <laughs> okay. Because the heart is deceptive. Okay. And it ain't just my heart. I love you. Your hearts are deceptive too. Back to Corinthian letters. I do not even examine myself. Okay. The statement here, if you see there in verse 3, but to me puts it in the emphatic. Okay. What I'm trying to, what that means is, okay, and this is important. He's saying, but to me, this isn't important, okay, what humans say, all right? Now, you got to be real careful about this. If this is the only perspective you've got, to say it's unhealthy would be an understatement. Because what can happen because of your flesh is that you get into this mindset that says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and I don't care. Okay? The things that I could care less on, whether people judge me on, um, he preaches too long. I really don't care what you think about the length of my messages. Sorry. Okay. Perhaps I need to teach you more how to learn to listen. And I could speak faster if you listen better. Ooh. Okay. Um, the content that I speak in or how I divide up my outlines, I'm not really that concerned of how you examine me and judge me on those. Okay. Um, you've got to be careful about there's times that one of the things that I've watched in the body of Christ in quote unquote ministry is God give us two ears and one mouth. What should we be doing twice as much of? And when I'm ministering to another individual, trying to help them to walk in a manner worthy, trying to strengthen them for the work of ministry, I tend to be extraordinarily quiet. People say, well, you're the pastor. You're always no. I'm always listening. When I get up behind the pulpit and it's time for the word to be proclaimed, yes, I will speak. But one of the things I have learned is we step into pride because we have theology. And when you come to me with your problem, I shall help you and tell you what you're doing wrong in your problem. Now you're a Corinthian. Okay. Most of the time, just listen. I would suggest at least twice as much. Listen. 
Okay, because a lot of times I know in this group, if I meet with someone and they're struggling with something, usually by them telling me what they're struggling with, their theology is understanding enough that their ears is hearing what their mouth is saying and they come to their own conclusions and you don't say nothing anyway. And I hate to break the news to it. The Holy Spirit is not on vacation. He is working in every child of God and he doesn't need your help. So if you get into a place of indifference, now you're in the wrong place. You have stepped into what is wicked. I always wanted to have a place in the mountains. Okay? <laughs> with, with a hidden road. <laughs> and couldn't be seen. And no phone. And I just sat up there and wait for Jesus to return. But it dawned on me, hard to make disciples when you're hiding. <laughs> and so I've given that up. And there's, I have a passion for people. Most of you know that I, I can be alone. Sometimes I prefer it. And, or I can be with people. It's fine too. Sometimes. <laughs> okay? But I, I have no problem being absolutely alone. Okay? And people say, well, how can you, because there's a part of me that understands the nature of people, but I also know that part of my responsibility as a Christian is to strengthen other Christians for the work of ministry. And what I find is, is that, did you know that there's other Christians out there that who will strengthen you? That's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And... One of the things you have to be very careful of is your theology isn't so great that nobody can teach you. And I've run into a handful of those guys. And they are so pleasant. Makes me want to have a cabin in the mountains with no road. (laughs) Okay. The moment you think you can't be taught by anybody is a very dangerous place. Paul is not saying that we are indifferent to what people say. You and me are not a proper court, is what Paul is saying. And we don't know enough about the reality, even of our own character, to deal with it. If you remember, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12... For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. Because it is by the grace of God that our character is what it is. Back to 1 Corinthians 4. Or first, yeah, First Corinthians 4. Verse 4 says, For I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet, I'm not acquitted. He, the word there is justified. Just because my conscience isn't condemning me, doesn't make me justified. Okay? Or acquitted. We are just... Too low a court 
to examine the heart. Paul, we have an accountability that is way above self. We have an accountability that is way above fellow humans or any human court. See, and what you need to understand, that accountability was Paul's concern. One of the things that I see in our ambition is our ambition may be motivated by other people. Maybe motivated by other circumstances. But why are we ever looking at it as that our accountability is to the Lord? Why? Because I am his servant. I have a stewardship of the ministries of God. So I'm accountable to God in Christ for one being a servant and the other being a steward. That was Paul's concern. See, Paul had no concern over human opinion. Do you understand how freeing that is? (laughs) See, Paul was not concerned about the temporal verdict. Paul was concerned about the eternal verdict. He was more concerned about the law, the higher judge, the higher court. See, that was who Paul had to answer to. Verse 4. No, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Now, listen, I want to give you a little footnote here. I'm not talking about a sin issue. Okay, I'm talking about a ministry issue. Okay, a sin issue, you can judge a sin issue. Actually, if you're truly good with Scripture, chapter 5 says what? The man had his father's wife, and you were to put him out. All right, so he's not saying my conscience... When he makes the comment that my conscience doesn't condemn me, he's not dealing with a sin issue. It's, it's this ministry issue because everybody's an expert. You know, when I look at spiritual gifts, I come up with two. And everybody says, two? Yeah, two. Speaking and serving. <laughs> okay? And you are gifted to either speak and you are gifted to serve. Okay? But James says, not many of you should be... Teachers, because theirs is a harser judgment. But watch what people want to do. I want to speak. As my grandpa used to teach me, better to be quiet and thought stupid than open your mouth and remove all doubt. Okay? Peter tells us that judgment begins with the house of God when it comes to sin. So I can't give a verdict on something that I can't see. Okay, listen, there are a lot of things that people do that may look good. But if they're doing something to look good and they're not doing it to please God, how does God look at it? Do you ever think about that? That's one of them things that you better start hanging on to because there's all kinds of people who are out there working their tail off for Jesus. But does Jesus want it? Are we doing it to please men? Are we doing it to please 
God. Paul says, there's nothing in my heart that condemns me. But if you remember also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he who thinks he can stand, take heed, lest they fall. See, because Paul here says, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Why his ambition was so focused was because he knew exactly who he had to please. Listen, this is such a rich text and a rich understanding. He brings it up over and over and over again in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians is uh, like the book of Romans, but he's mad. Okay? And he makes a statement in Chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Do you think I'm working to please men? Listen, if you're working to please men, let me see if I can make this as simple as possible. If you're working to get the favor of men, to make them feel better. Okay, because there's, there's a hermeneutics out there right now that teaches, if I can get the lost to like me, they'll like my Jesus. Okay, so when they study scripture, it is on how can I get them to like me? Because if they like me, they're going to really like Jesus. Okay, well, let me explain something to you. Who are you trying to please? Men. If you're trying to please men... Do you understand you will not be a bondservant to Christ? You can't do both. You either focus on pleasing him or you forsake him. Paul concludes to the Corinthian church in verse 5, chapter 4. 1 Corinthians, therefore, in light of what I've given you, do not go on passing judgment before time. Makes sense. But wait until the Lord comes. Who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts? Stop passing judgment. You don't have the verdict and it's not time. The verdict will be rendered that Christ comes. Because, see, when Christ comes, the motive of the heart will be exposed. See, do you understand that it is impossible for humans to know the hidden heart? Do you understand that humans can't know the hidden motives? You can't even know your own hidden motives. When the Lord comes, it'll be revealed. The end of verse 5 verse says, Then each man's praise will come to him from, from God. And yet, how many of us in this room right now are looking for the accolades, for the attaboys? You know, I left that church because they never were thankful for me. I've heard people say that. You're like, 
Well, you have your reward. Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to stop focusing on the man. I mean, I see that today. We have what I call pulpit idols. People, I go to that church because that's a powerful speaker. Well, what happens if that powerful speaker dies? I tell you what, I was out at Dr. MacArthur's and I was always wondered that. If Dr. MacArthur leaves, what happens to this? Okay, I tell you what, he's got a guy who's in youth ministry that blows John away when he preaches. And I looked at him and you're like, ha, oh, ha. Oh. And I just, a little bald-headed guy, about that tall. But I mean, that kid... You're like, gee, many crickets. All right. I don't think his church is going to miss a beat. Because he could, he fills in for Dr. MacArthur whenever he's on sabbatical or vacation or whatever it is he does. Uh, but he's his youth pastor. And this kid is stunning. It's absolutely stunning. I like people who like are really smart but can talk to me. <laughs> those, those are the ones I really get off on. Because I've, t- I've listened to some of these guys who are just sort of hovering. <laughs> You're like, I don't know what he said, but he was really excited about it. <laughs> Stop focusing on the man. It is God who will give the praises. You ever thought about that? Read that verse. God will praise us when he reveals the motives of the heart. We can't evaluate a ministry. Did you know that? We can't evaluate the heart. How well would you have done with King David? He's an adulterer. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He's a man after God's own heart. Wait a minute. (laughs) How does that work? You know what? The greatest insult that ever happened to King David... He said, had you listened, I would have done more. I'm sitting there going, he got a unified Israel. They became a superpower. And he did more. He would not allow David to build the temple. But he was a man after God's own heart. You look at the outside of it, you're like, what a dirtbag. And yet God says, no. See, God knows the motives. And so when the praises come, they're going to be based on the motives. What you and I should have an ambition, a care, a passion about is what comes from God towards us. What will that praise be? Do, do you see how that ties straight in to Second Corinthians, which is ministry? That is what the praises will be. I don't care if they put your head on Mount Rushmore. When you see God, will he praise the motive of your heart? When he exposes all of it, what are you going to do with it? What will you say? I mean, do you understand what it means to step into eternity 
and hear the Lord Jesus Christ say, Well done, true and faithful servant. And yet we go and we chase the accolades of this world that come from mere men. And you know what? The mere men have no idea what the motive of our hearts are. That should be the basis of the Christian life. The ultimate verdict of ministry is in the Lord's hands. If we understand that, then we're not looking for men's verdict. But we are looking for God's verdict. When uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Suffer hardship with me. As a good soldier of Christ. Okay, using that same analogy he gives right there. No no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of every day so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Okay, it's sort of like you'll hear people say, uh, well, we're getting ready to go into spiritual warfare. We need to put on the full armor of God. I, I hear that a lot. Well, I hate to break the news to those people, and if you're one of them, get over it. You're in a combat situation if you're still alive. So when would you take off your armor? I ain't taking my armor off. Why? I'm behind enemy lines. (laughs) I hate to break the news to you. They all want me dead. So you better keep your armor on and maybe put your head on a swivel. These are things you need to pay attention to. Why? If you're in God's army, who enlisted you? God did. So are you trying to please your commanding officer? Like this soldier... I, as a Christian in my life, I do what I do to please God, and I'm not worried about the opinions of men. Let me ask you a question. What do you do with present your body as a living sacrifice? How do you do that? By renewing your mind? Oh, did you know that it says, because this is acceptable to God? Do you know what that word acceptable is? Pleasing. Pleasing. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of him, a knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, why? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Listen, I want you to understand something. To please God is not news. 
This is the standard. But you know what? We still need to be reminded of it. The greatest church that I have ever been a witness to is the church in Thessalonica. First three chapters of Thessalonica is nothing but praises to this church. I mean, you should just read through that thing and you're like, wow, wow. You want to see church growth, the first three chapters right there. But then in chapter four, he says this. Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk. All right, you are walking to please God. It is already seen. It is already known. Everybody's excited about it. That you would excel more. I want you to please God more. <laughs> That's awesome. Because I read the first three chapters, you're like, man. And he says, and you do it. You're pleasing to God. But I want you to excel more. You have learned to please God. Do it even more. One more text I'll give you on pleasing God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we offer to God an acceptable Service and reverence and awe. Acceptable service literally means pleasing service. And we do it with awe. We do it all. Why? It's acceptable service. What? To be pleasing to God. And we do it in gratitude and awe. That's amazing. Paul was ambitious. Very ambitious. But if you look at his goal, is there any higher goal? That's what he's telling you in verse 9, chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. What is your goal? What was Paul's goal? And what is your ambition? To be pleasing to God. And then once you get that part down, excel more. <laughs> I like it. So, godly ambition. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things that you're doing. And Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. And Father, as Paul had this highest of goals may that become our passion may it become our ambition father only you can do this you can change these earthen vessels as paul has already told us these uh, fleshly containers into god-pleasing vessels now father that's a miracle Help each of us who is here this day to walk in a manner worthy of this awesome calling. To you and you alone, my King.
Christ's name. Amen.